here? Somehow between 1 and 2.30, I traveled 400 miles. I've got no memory. Past few months, people have been coming up to me and reporting strange things. Weird lights. Strange phone calls. Hello? Who is this? How do you do when someone comes into your office and tells you they saw this in their backyard? My wife saw some true pictures. Just like this. Who showed you this? You know what that is? One day I started hearing voices. The voices became messages. It was right here. All I could see were these two red eyes. I met him. You met him? He said, do not be afraid. I believe dead. You're reading my mind, are you? What's in my hand? Chapstick. This isn't just a message, it's a prediction. like to watch, Eve. What do you mean, you like to watch? I like to watch. I'm Don Hall. This is Donnie Smith. And this is I Like to Watch podcast, yet another podcast about film. Donnie, we have a guest tonight. We do. Uh, our guest is a, a longtime friend of mine. Uh, we met out here in Los Angeles uh, working together at the production company who produced tonight's feature that we'll be discussing. Um, uh, Mr. Derek Hayes, uh, he is uh, the creator and uh, host of his own podcast, Monsters Among Us. Do you want to hear something spooky? Some monster was standing there. It reminded me of Bigfoot. In walks a tall, gray alien. One of the teenage boys started to exhibit signs of textbook demonic possession. I'm Derek Hayes, host of Monsters Among Us podcast. This pure all-white entity staring straight at me. Where there should have been eye sockets, there weren't. Monsters Among Us is an anthology of real paranormal stories. Told by real witnesses. I never really believed in this Loch Ness Monster nonsense, but something very snake-like lifted its head out of the water. A giant black triangle. It was so big that it blotted out the stars. And I saw what looked like a huge monster. I could see the outline of hair. New episodes of Monsters Among Us drop every Thursday. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Somehow I had lost eight whole hours. It's a great uh, po- podcast about uh, everything cryptozoology related. Uh, uh, Fortean, uh, I don't even know. Derek, wait, what's your podcast about, buddy? Pitch it. Go for it. It's about monsters. It's a call-in show about monsters. Rock of all sorts. Human monsters, paranormal monsters, actual monsters, you name it. It's a it's a lot of fun. I I, I used to listen. I'm sure Derek used to listen to uh, was that coast to coast? Yeah. Is that what it was yeah, called? Coast right? to coast. And yeah. uh, I, I I as a as a listener of that, uh, former listener of that, I can uh, honestly say Derek's is uh, a a lot more involved, a lot cooler. Uh, stories are a lot creepier. Yeah, just it's a it's a great show. So kudos, congrats. What are you up? You're like 
300 and some odd episodes at this point, aren't you? Uh, I honestly don't know, but we turned yeah, okay. seven. We turned seven on Friday, so there you wow, go. That, that much I do Almost yeah. old enough to drive. It's like the Apecast. It's like the Apecast, <laughs> but far more structured and interesting, and without the the drunken bullshit. So yeah, yeah. There you go. Sweet. Well, you know, I'm no Rock nonsense, so we streamline this as much as possible and get right to the meat and potatoes of everything. There you Rock go. And if you and, and I'm sure you haven't listened to the Apecast, that's literally David Himmel and I randomly talking about shit. Um, I would say at least a third of the Apecast is me giving behaving as the therapist for his very Jewish <laughs> anxiety um, given given that I have uh, zero credibility when it comes to marriages and zero credibility when it comes to children apparently I am not adverse to giving advice about both those things to David there you go <laughs> and he's still married and still has kids so it must be working so, doing so, something right for now for now he no, for now no, for now for now you know i just gotta Fair give enough. it some time give it some time that shit will blow up in his face like mine did um That's let's hilarious. do a little housekeeping come back in an hour housekeeping you want towel? want towels need sleepy housekeeping you want men for pillow please go away let me sleep for the love of god sweet um we just obviously we're recording this uh we're recording this the day after the oscars and i'm curious if either of you or both of you watched the oscars and if you did what your takeaways were and if you did not why did you avoid it derek please uh as our guest please go for it wow i'm gonna let you guys down immediately uh i not only did i not watch the oscars but i didn't see a single oscar nominated film this year Oh, wow. What a Which, not wow. wow. Holy shit. I, I know. I, I get myself into this this trap all the time where I think, oh, I want to watch this. And then it's just time's up and I didn't have time yeah. to do it and it didn't happen. So I'm like, well, I better luck next year, I suppose. I, there's just a whole bunch I haven't seen. Are you, a regular, are you a regular Oscar watcher? Have you watched it in the past or? You know, when I worked just... in the industry, I watched a lot more. But, you know, since I've been out of film, it's like, eh, you know, that's the old me. I don't I don't really get into it as much. I love the old films, you know, the, the staples that I've been watching my whole life for, you know, the past 20 years or whatever. But I'm just not a new film guy. I just it, it takes a lot to, to get me going and it just doesn't happen for me often. Well, and it's you and Sarah are like a two person industry for your your podcast. And I, I know you have a, a third person that kind of helps out with uh Kind of like an assistant online. We have a like yeah, that, social, right? social media social person media. as well. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, like that is a must be a ton of work with what you do. So I can only imagine there's not a lot of time for kicking up to watch a two and a half hour fucking movie. So I'll be yeah. honest with you. I watch a lot of movies, a lot of TV, but it's always like geared toward the show, like doing research sure. or trying to find some information. And, you know, when it comes time to relax, like the last thing I want to do is sit in front of a screen. So yeah, you know, right, we have right. a campfire outside or something like that to try to, reset myself so I, I just find myself not watching movies as much as i did now that right. said i watch those same old movies over and over and over again so yeah you know yeah. I, I still have a love for the craft well when you're not doing that you're digging yourself out of eight feet of snow so well yeah there's there's always that as well yeah. <laughs> there's always yeah that that definitely takes yeah. precedent donnie did you watch the yeah Oscars? i watched you know i did i watched them um you know you know i've talked about this a little bit uh already in in previous episodes and kind of offline um yeah i was kind of this is one of the years where I really wasn't super excited about a lot of things. Um, I did see most of the movies. I did not see all of them. 
Uh, you know, my two big takeaways, uh, just down to brass tacks, my two big takeaways, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis winning over Stephanie Hsu uh, as supporting actress uh, really kind of bugs the shit out of me. I know she won the SAG Award as well uh, for Best Supporting Actress. Um, yeah, it just bugs the shit out of me. I, I felt like Stephanie had far more work to do in the movie uh character wise than jamie lee curtis had to do uh i felt like stephanie could have i mean look I mean, she's got some profile on her obviously just for being nominated but perhaps the award could have elevated her more like what the fuck is the award going to do for jamie lee curtis it's just kind of like a a career long pat on the back for her i guess in a big way which it's fine that's that's okay um so yeah that that was that was a big thing for me um and it was a big thing for me with the sag awards clearly she didn't win the golden globe that went to angela bassett which the look on her face at the oscars when <laughs> jamie lee curtis won, i was kind of like oh shit miss angela look out <laughs> holy fuck all right um and then my other takeaway was um you know there were there were some look every year there are missing actors from the well not just actors but missing industry people from the in memoriam uh, section of I thought that there were some really glaring ones this year though for me actor wise that really was like I don't know how you leave out Paul Sorvino and Hayes Tom Sizemore like I just don't know how you leave them just completely out you know um and then yeah just weird too um I'm gonna I hope I'm pronouncing her name right uh Sharbley Dean who was um the, the she was she in was the Triangle model. of Sanders she was a model yeah. she was trying to, and like tragically died out of nowhere at like, what was it, 32, 33 years old, right before or right around the release of Triangle of Sadness? Something like, that's, like that. Yeah, just really fucking tragic. Um, so they had like, there was some, those were the, like the, the, the glaring kind of omissions for me where I'm like, who, what committee fucking decides who gets airtime and who doesn't? Um, and just to have these people missing seemed really, really weird. Um, it was also strange seeing the fucking QR codes on your TV screen all night long for different shit. Cause I'm like, well, who's running up to their fucking TV screen and, you know, fucking doing this, you know, with their phone to fucking QR code capture. I thought you know, about it three times. It? I, I thought about it three times just cause I thought, yeah. well, I wonder what the target or the old Navy QR code takes me to. I didn't, but I wondered. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just so, yeah, was I weird. Mean, yeah. Yeah, I thought. Those, yeah, those those are my two big takeaways. You know, it, I mean, look, you, it is what it is. You can't change it. But Donnie, you watch the Oscars like every year, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. As much okay. as I, I every fucking year, I'm like, oh fuck these things, Jesus Christ, <laughs> you know, fucking rich people patting themselves on the back. See? God damn it, I love it. It's I grew up with it. I love the fucking. I love movies, man. So I always that Sunday comes around, and I'm like, fuck yeah. Like nothing else i'm gonna watch it of course of see course. i stopped watching i stopped watching the oscars in 99 when shakespeare in love won best picture over saving private ryan and that was when i went mm -hmm. fuck mm -hmm. this yeah and then yeah. and then and then i just i mean i literally haven't watched the oscar i caught the slap but that was because i was over at uh in in henderson nevada with eric wilson and some friends and we were just right. we were literally sitting on his back porch while the Oscars were going on in the other room talking about movies. So it right. was a very we weren't watching the Oscars. And then you texted me and I said, texted you. yeah, Will really? Smith just beat the shit out of Chris Rock. <laughs> on that. So yeah. we leaped up and we wanted to watch the juice. Well, this Crazy. year, 
you know, my life blew up and, uh, and, and I got to Kansas. And one of the nice things uh, in, in being in Kansas is my mom and I love to go see movies. Now it's Wichita. So there's not the greatest selection of, there's not a lot of art house going on, you know, mm-hmm. but, mm-hmm. Uh, but my mom loves to see the movies. So every Saturday, cause my dad's super sick. Cause I'd take my mom to the movies. And I realized when they announced uh, the, the, the the nominations that I had seen six of the 10 nominations. And I went, well, fuck, I'm, I guess I'm kind of invested at this point. So sure. what the fuck? So I, you know, I, I rented triangle of sadness and watched that. And then I rented tar and like watched that four times in the uh-huh. 48 hour rental window. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and I basically, and then we caught the Fablemans that actually was here in Wichita. And surprisingly in an AMC women talking showed, which was a shock to me, but we went and saw that. That's all. Right. That's, so I caught up, I caught up on the whale and, and, and some of the animated films and a couple of the international films. So I like, Oh, okay. I'm fully invested. I kind of have to watch the Oscars now. Cause I I've watched everything. Yeah. You know, it's like, right. wow, far out. And I, I threw, I actually thoroughly enjoyed it. I, 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 <laughs> I disagree that Jamie Lee Curtis shouldn't have won over Stephanie because I think uh, Chow, uh, Hung Chow was far superior than both oh, in of the, them in the whale. In the whale, okay. she was yeah, so sure. goddamn good in that movie. I mean, sure. that movie, sure. that movie is a little bit like getting punched in the face repeatedly. It's a hard yeah. movie to watch. It's not one I'll probably want to watch again. Yeah. However, unlike you know, we've done Requiem for a Dream. Most people would say the same thing about that film, and I've seen that dozens of times. I can't get <laughs> right. enough. Right. I can't get enough of it. But the whale is right. that's that's a rough ride. But she's brilliant in that. Okay. Um, and I, you know, the thing about it was I didn't, it, it was the realization, and maybe it's because it's been so long since I've seen the Oscars, mm-hmm. was, you know, when you think about, and you guys both have been in the industry, so you know what I'm talking about, is that there's so many people and so many years and so much fucking work that goes into creating, you know, most of our audience investment is a couple of bucks in two hours, but I mean, right. these people spend years yeah, putting these things mm-hmm. together, and do I really want to begrudge them a fucking four-hour commercial to celebrate the industry? You know, I mean, that's really what it is. It's not yeah, based no. on merit. Yeah. You can't you can't give awards based on merit. No. That's silly. It's no. silly on its face. Well, especially to think that it's about yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. It's silly. However, yeah, you know, I mean, you know, did, did did I think? Do I personally think everything, everywhere, all at once was the best picture? No, I thought Tar was the best picture. However, I also I I, I also yeah. didn't think that Art Carney in Harry and Tonto was better than Al Pacino in Godfather Part Two or Jack Nicholson in Chinatown. Uh, so it's like okay, enough. you know, you yep. know what? It, it's not about yep. merit. Yep. It's it's about sort of like there's a lot of factors coming in. I enjoyed it. it was totally Jimmy Kimmel was you know blandly unfunny and but amiable. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah. yeah, no, I, I I was surprised that I enjoyed it as much as I did because I haven't actually watched yeah. a broadcast from. I've even watched the fucking champagne carpet bullshit uh, before, just to kind of. No, yeah, I don't. <laughs> I did. I was yeah, like, I don't you know, fucking care about. 
Oh, you no, watched best, it? Oh, yeah. I, I did. And the it. best thing about that was Hugh Grant basically telling everybody in the free world he doesn't give two fucks about the Oscars. It was a great. <laughs> I did see. I did that see was very that. funny. Yeah, I did Made see me that. laugh. Right. I kind of yeah. loved him. I loved yeah. him for that. You know, it was like that was. Yeah, that, that was, was like about 10 minutes. Thing. That was about 10 minutes before, before the yeah. broadcast started. Right. So, yeah, I already had it on. I wasn't watching. I just kind of had it on. And yeah, but I did catch. I, I caught that. Yeah, he was. Yeah. You know, he's properly fucking British about it. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I just I love who, who, who are, who are you, you wearing? wearing? My suit. It's my, my suit. My By tailor. who? My tailor. Like, I just fucking great. Yeah. That's it. Made me laugh. Yeah, I love it. Right. That's great. Derek, yeah. Derek, here's one of the questions I have for Derek. Now, obviously, you know, you just said you didn't watch it, but uh, you used to watch it. How is because yeah, you just made a film that's uh, on Kickstarter. Yeah. And yeah. I'm going to let's let's take a pause. I'm going to p- play the trailer so that people can hear what's going on. Derek, this is Mike. We went out down in Borrego Springs and we we're cruising down a dirt road. It was really rough one night. And all of a sudden, this bright light looked like it lit up right behind us. The whole sky was lit up. I could see the mountains lit up brighter than day. The whole desert was. I called the Palomar Observatory. And they say, no, we didn't see anything, but there was lots of strange things happened down there. We're on our way to Anza Borrego State Park. There's all sorts of activities taking place in this area, from UFOs, uh, actual aliens being seen, glowing figures. Uh, there's all sorts of ghost activity that's reported in this area. Mm-hmm. And of course, the Borrego Sandman, the Yucca Man, the Speedway Monster, this Bigfoot character that hoping to uncover something out here. I've been hiking in the mountains right behind us here before, uh, shortly after it snowed one time and saw this giant footprint in the ground. That was the biggest one I've ever seen. But one of the ongoing theories here is that the Borrego Sandman hides out in these mud caves. We go in here and then we start wondering like, How's it, how's it get water? How's it feed itself? Are these caves like ever changing because it's made of mud? One little tremor and all that comes down. It's easy to leave prints around here. Looks like it walked into the cave and then walked back out. It wasn't too long ago. Here we are at Yaqui Well. Native Americans have used this spot for hundreds if not thousands of years to get to collect water. It's literally like tens of degrees cooler than anywhere else just we even walk in here. Ghostly activity can can change temperatures. Especially localized. Yeah, localized. Like pockets of air will be cooler or warmer, uh, supposedly affected by some sort of spirit. We're at the Vallecito Stagecoach uh, Station. There was um, a young woman who was riding the stagecoach and she basically died pretty much in horrible agony. Did we just hear something? Yeah, I just heard something over there. If he's there, we gotta stop. Hey, you little guys. <laughs> Going down old 86 South, something ran across the road, and it was upright on two legs, and it looked like a cross between a, a wolf dog and a human. Right now, we're trying to find some of these petroglyphs, centuries-old art. The, uh, the directions to these things are very vague.
And so you've made this you've made this film. Um, tell us a little bit about it from your perspective. And, and, and I guess my question is, even though you didn't watch Dazzler, how does it feel as a filmmaker watching other filmmakers like, you know, that that whole meme of follow your dreams, dreams can come <laughs> true. How does that how does that play for you? Well, I'll start off by by saying I, I did see Jamie Lee Curtis's acceptance speech last night, and she was quick to mention, you know, she said it may look like I'm the only one up here, but there are hundreds of people that, you know, put me here. And it, it's that that's exactly what filmmaking is. It's, you know, there, there may be a couple names at the top, but <clears throat> there are dozens, if not, you know, hundreds of people on these bigger films that create all this magic to make all this stuff happen. And for a long time, Don and I were those little people, you know, we're at the bottom of those credits. But I can't say that they wouldn't make the films without us, but I'd like to think maybe they'd have a harder time, you know, if, if Don and I weren't there. But <laughs> right, fair it'd be somebody, but, you know, it's somebody, nice somebody part. else yeah, would yeah, fill yeah. those shoes. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. But it, it reminds but it me of the story. Yeah. It reminds that reminds me of the story uh, of the, 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 you know, the cathedral that's being built. It's this huge cathedral being built. And it's in the middle of process being built. And, you know, the guy goes and he sees the, the stone worker and he says, what do you do? And he says, well, I'm, 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 I'm working the stones. I'm, you know, I'm mortaring the stones, all this kind of stuff. And then finally he sees this old woman and she's just sweeping up dust. And he says, and what, and what are you doing? She says, I'm building a cathedral. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. That's, yeah a, exactly. that's about right. That's about right. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it's it's a process, and I guess you don't realize what you get yourself into when you start doing that. You know, I was familiar enough. I worked in production, and I worked in a little bit of development, basically the whole gamut in film. And I thought, well, you know, I have enough knowledge. I have enough contacts. All I need to do is put a little budget together. I found the subject matter. We we located a, I guess, a paranormal hotspot that nobody would really been talking about. There was some coverage in the early 90s, that sort of thing. But nobody's done any documentaries. Nobody's written a book. Nothing about this place. So, you know, I got my partner, David Flora of uh, Blurry Photos Podcast, and I together. And I said, you know, let's just do this. Let's make this happen. And I think we started off thinking it would be a little smaller than it ended up being because, you know, the the film finished. The film is finished now. No one's seen it yet. We're waiting on distribution. But it looks a lot bigger than than what we advertised, which yeah, I'm it looks, completely it, pleased about. But and and this is not an insult to indie films, but it doesn't look indie. It, I mean, you know what I mean? It looks, it looks. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, yeah. It's, we it's spent for, like twenty grand on this thing. Yeah, I was so. gonna say just just for the trailer, just from what I've seen in the trailer, that does not look like. Hey, my buddy and I put twenty grand together and made a a documentary about this. It, that, that looks like not to say that indie films are not, but it looks like a proper film, and that's really. I, well, mean, I appreciate you did, that. Did that's, a really that's nice high shot. praise. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's high praise because that's that's a difficult thing to do, it especially really you know the kind of genre we're working in because it is a documentary film about the paranormal, mm. so you're kind of pigeonholed into certain things anyway. You got to yeah. try to bust out of those restraints and be original at the same time. There's there's a lot of uh, asks there to to get that together. And uh, I had a great editor, uh, Matt. Our editor was amazing on it. We had we had a great crew, and and that's what it comes down to. It's just you surround yourself with the people that help you make the vision and, and embrace that vision and help you move it forward. Well, who did I see today? There was somebody I can't. I'm not going to remember who the tweet was from. Maybe it was from Duplass or I forget who the fuck it was from. But it was um make movies about things that you love and make them with people that you love. Oh yeah. Right. And like when you're working on those kind of small budgets, like, like you did or anybody might be doing, 
you know, I don't know what was the the Skinnerink movie that was just on Shutter. Don, oh, yeah. um, what was that? What did I tell you? It was like ten or fifteen grand. The guy did it during the pandemic. His two kids, yeah. his two young kids are the fucking leads of the movie. Like it's very David Lynch uh, inspired. Um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, that's how you do it. And like, ah, uh, you know, just full disclosure, I have seen the movie. Derek uh, reached out and uh, you know asked me to take a look. Uh, and I, you know, I agree, Don. If you think the the trailer uh, opens it up for you in that way, like the movie itself, really. Um, you know, to have the scope that it has and the, the different storylines that you guys follow, uh, let alone just the the kind of, I told you this, the the kind of uh, camera work that's in the film. And mm-hmm. just, you know, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, I, look, I watch a lot of documentaries. You know, I love fucking horror shit and paranormal shit too. Like, you know, this is one that I, I was riveted uh, and not just because you're my friend. So well, well, I think that, if it's that any- says a lot. In terms of compliments, this is the best compliment that I can possibly give the trailer of your film is uh, my sister once in a while goes with my mom and I to see the movies. My sister does not like scary movies. And one of the one of the things we do is we always get there early enough to even watch the fucking newbie bullshit. But we love the trailers. And my mom and I have a ritual. If we see a trailer and we're sitting in our chairs, if we both if we want to see it. We give it a thumbs up and we hold it high for anybody to hmm. see. And my mom and I do that. Well, my sister always is thumbs down for anything that is even possibly confrontational of any kind of way. It's a thumbs down. And I showed both my mom and my sister your trailer and my mom gave it a thumbs up and my sister gave it a thumbs down. So that that says awesome. you're on the right, <laughs> way on the right track. My friend, a strange phone call from SD, spirit, whatever. Seem to know everything. Like God. Uh, made predictions, yeah. They came true. Yes. His name was Indrid Cole. His perception, John, may they appear differently to everyone. A voice, a light, a man, a monster. If your friend thinks he's talking to God, he's off by more than a few degrees. And how how do you explain it? Knows everything. If there was a car crash ten blocks away, the window washer up there could probably see it. Now that doesn't mean he's gone. Or even smarter than we are. But from where he's sitting, he can see a little further down the road. I think we can assume that these entities are more advanced than us. Why don't they just come right out and tell us what's on their minds? You're more advanced than a cockroach. Yeah, so the movie is uh, The Mothman Prophecies from 2002, directed by Mark Pellington. A little log line up. Distraught by the sudden tragic death of his wife, John Klein, a journalist for The Washington Post, finds himself mysteriously drawn to a small West Virginia town when his car inexplicably strands him. Rescued by the sympathetic but skeptical local police sergeant, he soon learns that many of the town's residents have been beset by bizarre events, including sightings of an eerie, moth-like entity similar to the one seen by his late wife. Investigating further and having his own terrifying encounters with the creature, he becomes obsessed with the idea that this supernatural being can predict impending calamities and is trying to warn the town of one. Is this a psychic delusion brought on by his grief, or can he convince the police sergeant that there's a tragedy that must be averted? His life, and potentially other lives, 
depend on his making the right choice before time runs out. Jesus so, Christ, that was a really long synopsis. Usually, yeah, I, I usually you don't write take, it. I just I know, but usually, shit, but like, usually it's like two sentences and it just goes. I, and that was just I, like, I did, wow, well, you I gave us a whole... This, did we just watch a, the movie? This movie's <laughs> odd because, well, you know, sort of. This movie's odd because... I, you know, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'll be fucking straight up honest. Like, I picked this movie to get Derek on the show because I, I want to rap with Derek about movies. He's super knowledgeable. Uh, he's super knowledgeable about all of the, the, the Fortean cryptozoology shit. And we just happened to work at the company who made this movie, right? So do, do you like to watch this movie? Well, I'll tell you, I, I remember enjoying this film the last time I watched it. Having just rewatched it after, I mean, Christ, it's got to be at least a decade since I watched this film. And I'll tell you, it's got a lot of good shit going on, but fuck is it slow. <laughs> it is a yeah. slow movie. I would call it a fucking humorless film. Oh, thank God. Um, yeah, it's because I hated it's, every second of this thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's 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 cool because it doesn't go. And look, Derek and I, we were talking about, you know, having me on the show. I was wrapping with him. I'm like, would you want to come on sometime? Talk about whatever. And I picked this movie. And he said, well, you know, there's there are some other cryptozoology movies. And I was like, yeah, but this has this going on. And we, you know, worked at the company, blah, 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 blah. This one the thing that I really appreciated about it is that it doesn't go full bore creature in a suit mm -hmm. monster movie. Um, I think there's some underlying themes of the, not underlying. I mean, just the, the themes of the fucking film are, it, it's a movie about loss and dealing with that grief. And it's a movie about helplessness, right? It's a dark movie psychologically that way. Right. Well, if, and, if they'd have had if they'd have had a, an actor that wasn't just a vacuum of emotion, like the very wooden brick bat of Richard Gere, I think it might have worked better. But he is so he's the thing about it is my feeling about Richard Gere is I don't think he's ever been a good actor. I can't think hmm. of a single movie that I think he's actually good in, but he gets put huh. in movies with other actors that are so good. And they have such range that that he ends up like it works. Um, but this movie, you have two really good actors, Will Patton and and Laura uh, Laura Linney, Laura, Laura, Laura Linney, yeah. who have yeah. virtually fucking nothing to do but play one note. And because they don't have much to do, you rely on him. And I just think he's so terrible. It, I, I felt like watching. I felt like I felt like it was watching an X Files without any fucking personality whatsoever sure yeah yes i think the film is competently shot i think rhythmically it works because i mean pelling is a music video director i think rhythmically it works it just it it just the the the, the pace of it is just too fucking slow you know what i mean it's awfully know, dry makes, in the that center. That probably makes no fucking sense at all. No, it, it makes perfect anyway. sense to me. It's it's awfully dry in the center, and you're you're both correct on uh, well, at least in my opinion on on Richard Gere, and and honestly, I didn't realize it until this rewatch. I try to watch this film almost every year around Christmas time. I didn't watch it this last year, so it's been a couple years, and 
when I was just watching it a couple hours ago, like brushing up, I was thinking to myself, I was like, man, Richard Gere's really bad in this. And I just, it never <laughs> dawned on me until this viewing. And you guys are, you're, you're dead on. He just doesn't have, seem to have much of a response to anything. Now, talking about, uh, I can't remember what words you guys used, but talking about how uh, slow and like depressing everything feels and, and everything, it, that's just the area. I mean, I grew up just outside of this area. I grew up about right. an hour from here. Right. And they, Mark did a really good job of capturing that Appalachian uh, despair, I guess is the best word. I mean, it it is. It's just like a a feeling that hangs over you around these places. And humorless, I guess, is one of the words used. And I mean, I grew up there and there's plenty of humor there. Don't get me wrong. But if you were going to describe a place as humorless, maybe that might be one of those places. It's like bleak. It's it's tough living. It's It's a tough place to survive. Yeah. So I've seen movies. I, I imagine that Afghanistan's pretty tough to survive, but I've seen movies in set in Afghanistan that have far more life to them. So you, and the thing is, this is what I noticed because I agree with Donnie. I do think it was well shot. I mean, no question that it was well shot. My difficulty with a lot of the shooting was, first of all, a lot of the shots, and and maybe this is when it was made and what I've seen since because I've I've never seen this movie. I mean, I think I saw it a long, like when it first came out and didn't think much mm-hmm. of it. It just was like mm-hmm. came and, and went. Well, you and, and everybody else. But... <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and in watching it this time, I thought, wow, that is a lot of cliched camera angles, uses of the camera. There's a lot of cliche in there. Now, maybe it was, I, you know, I can't say because I'm not a, a that, that kind of a, a filmic. I'm more of an audience member than I am a historian. But it just seemed like, wow, I've seen all these shots done better in other movies. The other thing, and to your point, uh, Derek, you know, I because I get that it's a depressing area, um, but I don't need to have it hammered in my face for sure. two hours. That how do you know? Because ultimately, that's the thing. At the end of the day, the story is, as Donnie said, it's about grief. It's about loss. It's about this bizarre thing that really, I, <laughs> I thought personally. Maybe it's based on on uh, a true, you know, we'll use the air quotes, a true story in that regard. But there were so many things about it that just were like, wow, that's his, the guy's doing prank calls. The the, the creature is doing prank calls. <laughs> he's, the, he's, the, he's the jerky boys, basically. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's like, he's, doing, <laughs> like he's, he's like, 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 okay, so there's, you've got this really interesting setup. You've got the death of his wife and she sees this sort of image and it's like, okay, so you, and and there's so much atmospheric stuff going on, but then the story itself is sort of like, what the fuck is this? Who came up with, he's, he's, he's got a name. He's got a name. He's making And then, and then the big, the big thing, like all of these horrible tragedies, his big thing is the collapse of a bridge. I mean, couldn't it have been of, like a, a meteor coming down? Well, yeah, but I mean, it's like, you know, it could have, I, I, that's the thing is all the, <laughs> the, the things that he predicted were going to happen that did happen were far worse. Were, the stakes were much higher for those disasters than a fucking bridge falling. And I thought, that's, that's, the, that's the closer? Oh, I mean, look, it's right. a fucking... God, God, God. I was Derek, just going to say, the reality of the situation <laughs> is the, the bridge really did collapse. Uh, December of '67, it collapsed. Forty-six people died. Uh, right. So that that really did happen. Yeah. Uh, a lot of these sightings did take place, and the the prank calling character 
wasn't really involved with the Mothman. That was a case that was like 30 miles away, closer to where I grew up. Uh, it was like an alien encounter, basically. Uh, I'll tell you the story really quick because I guess that's what I do. Uh, this sewing machine salesman was driving down the interstate going from Ohio into his home in West Virginia. And he come around the corner and there was a UFO parked in the middle of the road. So he stops and, you know, as you do in West Virginia, you get out and talk to the alien. And <laughs> the alien starts giving him all this information, introduced himself as Indrid Cold and said, I'll see you in time. Well, he ended up having several communications with this guy and he predicted a lot of things. Uh, I, I don't have the, the information off the top of my head as to what he predicted and, and how they knew it was true or whatever, but none of that. Who, who gives a shit about details, honestly? But right. uh, So they kind of tied that into that story a little bit, but they, they're not really together. And they yeah. left a lot of stuff out. Too. There was a lot of men in black sightings in that area, a lot of UFO sightings, and of course, the Mothman himself. Um, but but a lot of the stuff you see in there, you think, oh, this is too what? Why the hell would this be in there? It, it's it's pulled out of truth, quote unquote. Yeah, well, I mean, right. with the way you described that setup, my first thought was, and and then the you know the alien talks to him and he predicts a whole bunch of stuff, and then he gives him a magic tablet and a pair of magic spectacles and says, your name is Joseph Smith, and now you're going to go start the Mormon <laughs> Church. It's like what the fuck? But that's sort of. I mean, you know, and, you no, know, it's, it's, it's sort things- of yeah. Yeah, one of the things that I wrote down when I was watching it was because uh, I do remember actually reading the book. Now, not like well with details, but I do remember reading the book around the time the movie came out because my curiosity was peaked in some way. And one of the things that I thought while watching this film this time was, I you know, I wonder, I wonder if it would work better for me if it had been said in the sixties, you know, because that was a very, it would for me for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It it was a very different time. There was, there was a different sensibility. I mean, you got to remember what the Mm sixties were like. We were, we were talking about going to the moon. There was, you know, Star Trek was a big thing at the time. There was a, there was sort of this presence of the alien and the paranormal that was really kind of everywhere. And I, and I think it might have worked a little bit better in the 60s than wherever it was and set in. And what the main story that the book and, and this area, and again, Derek, you know more about this than I do, but like, you know, it 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 really has a lot to do with that post-World War II. It has a lot mm. to do with that Cold War era. There's a giant munitions dump somewhere in that area, right? Like, Well, that's where all the sightings movie, take place is the munitions right, and dump. And this movie yeah. doesn't touch on any of that shit. So... No. For me, when you get more detailed in that way, even if it's just a hint of something, you know, to me, it would just add more uh, believability to these strange things happening, you know, um, or at least people believing that they were happening, you know, like just, right, just giving context right. for that the community would go, wow, right. this shit's really happening. Right. And what's it make too, sense? Like, you know, and, and, and part, partly what I like about this movie and you know i'm gonna vacillate back and forth because there's some things i really don't like and then there's some things that i do appreciate that i don't know that are fully fleshed out but you know um derek has a movie coming up later for one of his picks that um it kind of it, it echoes this movie in a way where you know uh is what's happening in his head because of the grief that he's going through or is it actually happening now clearly in this movie a lot of it is actually happening because he talks to eyewitnesses, right? Including our friend uh, uh, Dan Callahan, who is uh, the guy. <laughs> he plays CJ, he was the, yeah. He was, yeah, he's the guy in the car making out with the girl, right? He's got the red yeah. fucking eyeballs and shit. Um, so, like, you know, obviously things are happening because he's talking to people. But 
you know, um, uh, uh, Pellington's previous movie to this was was Arlington Road, which was basically uh, just about domestic terrorism. Right. Hmm. And a lot of it is is Jeff Bridges like crazy. Does he really believe he really believes that his next door neighbors are like Russian spies intent on blowing shit up? But are they or are they not? Right. So Pellington kind of plays in that 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 kind of realm. And I do appreciate that about this film. Um, it just it doesn't it doesn't fully do it. You know, it doesn't fully go there because we uh, like I said, we, we do get the eyewitness accounts and stuff. So I don't know. There's something about that that I really enjoyed about this film. Um, you, know, you know, it's funny. Mary, Mary Lynn asked me after we watched because she watched it with me. She was like, Jesus. <laughs> and um, <laughs> she said, well, you know, it's funny. You know, you guys talk about a lot of movies and blah, blah, blah. She's like, you know, it's funny because like your podcast is I like to watch. Did you like to watch this? Film? And I was like, well, some of it. Yeah. Some of it. No, but it's not. I like to watch this movie. It's we like to watch movies, period. And I think part of the fun in doing this podcast is talking about some of these movies that have just kind of been forgotten over time that mm-hmm. maybe people haven't revisited in a long time and whether it's worth watching again or not, you know, and I would say like this one is it's worth a rewatch. I mean, Derek, you say you, you tend to watch it once a year. Um, you know, it's tell a me good about Christmas that. movie. Yeah, it's tell, me, tell me, yeah, tell me, please, tell yeah. me about that, Derek. Why? Okay, so obviously you have some affinity for the film. If you watch, if, if for a while you watched it every Christmas, what's 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 the draw for you? Well, well, the connection to the story. First of all, like I said, I grew up in the area. I've known about the Mothman legends for a long time. Uh, you, I remember hearing about them making the film. They shot it in the Pittsburgh area, which is also I'm also from near that area, about an, a little over an hour away. So I remember them filming, you know, production being there. I remember this all going on. I was pretty excited for that. Uh, there's something about the vibe of the film that I love depressing shit. That's that's my bag. So this is kind of on par for me. This is sort of something that I, that I get into. And I should say, you know, I have a little insight on the film. You know, I worked, I was uh, one of the main producers on the film's assistant for who the hell knows how long. But he told me a story that... Uh, Pellington's wife died during production of this film. So everything kind of took a turn mid-production. And I think that's where a lot of this depression, uh, depressing vibe kind of comes from. A lot of that was Pellington just basically emoting his his feelings, I guess. uh, Processing the loss as he's making this film. So I always take that into account while I'm watching this because there's like a excuse me, there's like a whole nother level to it when, when you start looking into that stuff. And then also, if, if you're a fan of the book, uh, John Keel's original book, and then uh, a fan of the legend, you start filling in those little gaps. And with all that knowledge, it, it becomes a different product for me. It's not the same piece of crap you guys are watching because I'm able to fill in these blanks <laughs> that, you know, that are missing. Right, right. So that's right. that's a long answer, but that, those are kind of no, the things that they- I think that's a great answer. answer. No, it's, yeah, it's what, it reminds, well, what, what, what it reminds me, God. No, no, no. I was just going to say that that's what we love, like those kind of idiosyncratic answers. Like, why is it special to you? You know, Don had this whole thing about pennies from heaven. Right. I had never seen it. You know, so like having those those unique answers like that to me is what's that's what's fun about. Yeah, it's what your your description of it reminds me reminds me of uh, a movie that I've seen probably more than almost any other movie I've ever seen, which is uh, Gilliam's The Fisher King. 
And for some reason, when I I watched that, the first time I watched that, my life was kind of in the shitter. And I watched the movie and I identified very, very strongly with the character of Jack. I mean, I walked out of that movie, felt like I was Jack and I needed to find redemption and, you know, that kind of thing. A couple of years later, another bad thing happened in my life. And I I just happened to watch that movie again. But that time I really identified with Perry and I was like, Oh, wait a minute. And I, I've watched that movie so many times and I identify with Michael Jeter sometimes with Mercedes rule sometimes. And, and what I love about that movie is it has that while I didn't, you know, it's not the context of I was there when it was filmed or I have any connection with that section of New York or any of that. It has such a very personal meaning to me that if I tell somebody they should watch the Fisher King and they say, yeah, yeah, I watched it. It was all right it's hard for me to encapsulate because oh, sure. it has yeah, such you're offended, deep right? person- <laughs> yeah well it's like it has such a deep personal meaning to me that i want to do that thing where i go no 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 let me explain to you why it's the <laughs> most of it and then i have to stop myself because like nobody wants to hear that shit yeah, yeah. No, it, get, it never I works anyway like that yeah that, no you can never <laughs> convince somebody of anything like that it needs to be natural it needs to be something they discover on their own yeah. agreed yeah, agreed. You know, I, again, I, you know, I, if you watch, I mean, you talk about, you know, his kind of grief. Um, if you guys have never seen a movie called I Melt With You that Pellington did, with, uh, it's Thomas Jane, Jeremy Piven, Rob Lowe, uh, Christian McKay, who I'm not super familiar with. But um, it's like these old uh, buddies who get together. They've known each other since college. They get together. They go to Big Sur to celebrate a 44th birthday party. And... I uh, fuck it. Spoiler alert. Most people are probably not going to watch the movie anyway, but they have a pact basically to all commit suicide together. And it, you want to talk about fucking dark and depressing. I mean, it's, it's one of the best things I've ever seen Jeremy Piven do. I'll be honest about that. He's, you know, he can be smug at times, but uh, this, he really does some work in this movie, but yeah, Ellington really does. And I'm like, I'm not super familiar with, I mean, I used to be, but like, I'm not super familiar with his, um, music video work, but he came up in that same school of Fincher and Spike Jones. It's the same era of music video directors. Right. Yeah. And um, I feel like there's a, I, 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 you know, again, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but like, I feel like he probably has some darkness in his fucking music video work too. You know? Well, when um, was that film made? The, the one you just mentioned, was it before or after this uh, 2011? one? 2011. No, it was after. Oh, okay. So it was okay. After. Yeah, it was, it was well after. Yeah. yeah, it was yeah. way yeah. after. Because yeah, I guess it, it hit him pretty cool. well. Obviously, it would, but it hit him pretty yeah. hard from you know all the stories I heard. And I don't know what the, oh, sure. it was just a quick illness. It was like some maybe it was a stomach issue or something like that, where she was sick and then she went into the hospital and then like two days later she was gone. And yeah, everybody sort of, was sort just of, like, what's you know, what the hell? And sort I guess, of like the I don't life know if they halted production. Yeah, she's totally yeah. fine. They get into a car accident, it knocks something loose, and she dies. Like a yeah, lot of parallels. No time yeah. yeah, yeah, that's, that's why. Yeah, just, just brutal. Um, you know, yeah, and look, I, you know, I, I think Will Patton is great in this movie. I yeah, love him as just kind of that. He's like kind of like a journeyman actor. I well, um, wish he had more he... to do. Yeah, well, yeah, go ahead. Fair, no, fair enough, but it's like. I wish he had more to do in fucking gone in 60 seconds as well. But like, it's always <laughs> fun when he pops. It's always fun when he pops. Up. I love Will Patton. You know what yeah. I mean? You're, yeah. you're going to say yeah. Derek. 
Yeah, so well, uh, he's playing the character that was approached by the alien. Actually, uh, that guy's name was uh, oh, okay. Woody Derenberger, but they kind of morphed uh, Richard Hatem, the the writer, kind of morphed him into uh, uh, what was his name? Um, I can't. Uh, Will Patton's character's name. I'm I'm blank. Yeah. Gordy. Isn't Gordon? Gordon. Gordon Smallwood. Yeah. Smallwood. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it they kind of. And then that voice became him, and it kind of drove him to insanity. Ended up drinking himself to death. The real Woody Derenberger. Uh, wow. he, this encounter ruined his life. Essentially, he became pretty famous in the area. He was on the news all the time because this thing kept contacting him. And wow. he's like, I, I don't know. It, he, it claimed to be from the planet Telos, I think, or Telios, or something like that. I'm trying to remember all the details. But it's it's it the crazy one just stuff. to the crazy left stuff. of. It's that's the one just to the left of Pluto, I think. I think it is. Yeah. <laughs> is this? Some, I, have a, I have a question for you. Is this something? Is Mothman something that comes up a lot for you in your? Oh, a ton. Yeah. I mean, this is. I would say there's Bigfoot, Loch Ness monster, and then and then Mothman's the next one. Oh, down. Really I mean, it's five? super Holy popular, shit. and this film is wow. very popular in in the uh, the paranormal circles too. Okay. okay. Wow. Had a big resurgence, you know, 2010, maybe something like that. Well, Point people Pleasant rediscovered does. It. Point Pleasant does like a, a a festival every year, don't yeah, they? They do a festival like every a September, festival. and like a hundred thousand people show up to this thing. Yeah, it's huge. Holy wow. shit! Yeah, why not? I mean, fuck. That's that was like there a few years ago. Yeah, that's cool. You know, I mean, well, and they, that's cool. I mean, hopefully it's not fucking tragic for them. It's, you know, bad well, shit. Well, the, the bridge is like, tragic. I mean, they have memorials up, and people still talk about you know loved ones lost and that sort of thing. And it, it still impacts the community pretty big. And it's not a big town. There's twenty thousand people, something like that. So right, everybody knew each other. Uh, you know, sort of, they, but they do have a museum there too with all the props from this film. You can go see all that stuff, all the original oh, police cool. reports. So there's there's some cool stuff there if you make your way over to Point Pleasant. Well, and talking about the veracity of the based on a true story fucking thing at the beginning of this movie, right? Like, I mean, clearly it's not, right? I mean, it's it, it's based on a true story in that people saw shit, but like not this story that they're telling no yeah the details and especially completely... the ending the ending really was kind of annoying too because there's that title screen that pops up that's like the bridge collapsed x amount of people die and even the people the number that they give in the movie is not the actual number of the people yeah, who really incorrect. did die yeah um and then it says something like uh the 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 the, the, uh, the reason the bridge collapsed was never found out and like that's bullshit like they did find out yeah in the, yeah it's like yeah it was a one it was number 13 bolt which was ironic that oh, it was number 13 yeah. but so, it was the yeah, number 13 well, sure. bolt yeah. broke and it just a chain reaction took the entire yeah, thing that bridge down. was never fucking created to hold any amount of traffic daily traffic it was christmas it was, christmas know. traffic coming through there uh, just yeah. like in the film it, that well, part was that was actual from what you guys are telling me because this is all good good information it strikes me that if they just told the story yeah that was there a hundred percent it would be, a vastly oh, it would be way fucking bad. yeah 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 that trying and to fictionalize like this and then throw it into this sort of uh modern retelling and then try to combine the stories that don't really combine very well if you just told right. the story the way it way the way it was actually related to people in the book well it would be and like you a said, much better film. especially a, as yeah. a period film right yeah. 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 Well, and money. I'll, I'll I'm be, sure money plays a big part in that. This, yeah. I think the budget well, for this was design. like 40 million or something. And you yes, can't do periods it was also for 40 cut, million. And it was, yeah. I read something where the budget was also cut right before filming started, which is the same thing that happened in Arlington Road to Pellington. And look, I, you know, it, I, it's a very lakeshore thing to do. Well, it's low hanging fruit to kind of like <laughs> beat up on a company that no longer fucking exists. But 
yeah, I mean, you're right, Don. Like, just tell the fucking story. Like, overproduced is a word, a, a, a phrase, a, a feeling that comes up to me a lot in this era of filmmaking, especially like yeah. indie studio filmmaking. Um, I know it was partially financed by Screen Gems, which is a, a, a the kind of the indie leg of, of Sony Pictures and indie leg of Sony Pictures. I don't even know if they're still around, but I don't know either. Over overproduced is is something I would put on this movie. You know, I it just yeah. so much editing, so much kind of like flashiness sometimes for no fucking reason. Um, it's a, it's a, it's it's such an intriguing story that I think could have had more impact um, the less people were messing with it. You know, I agree. And yeah, I agree. having yeah. having yeah. worked at Lakeshore and having. You know, I worked my my desk at the end was right near where we had some editing bays and to kind of overhear some of the notes that were happening while editing was going on and some of the arguments <laughs> or fights that was happening. I'm just like, you guys don't trust your filmmakers. You just don't. You know, yeah. you want to have your hands in everything. And I think this is not just a Lakeshore problem. I think this is a Hollywood problem. I think um, yeah. everybody you talk about all those people that it takes to make a film, right? Some of those people who have their giant names on the screen before the movie starts really want to have their fingerprint on the film mm -hmm. more than just having their name in the credits. Whether that makes sense say, for the film or not. Whether, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, you know, if you think about like Bob Shea and how he ran New Line and gave a lot of people, Wes Craven especially, a lot of filmmakers, uh, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson with Boogie Nights, he gave a lot of freedom to those filmmakers, you know, that wasn't a Lakeshore thing. Lakeshore really wanted to control their filmmakers. They, they really didn't give a lot of leeway. And no. for people that were lawyers or business people, now look, Gary Lucchese, Bob McMahon, like those guys were in the movie business for, since the fucking 80s. Like they're legit movie people. Um, but some of the other people involved were not. They're not. They're not filmmakers. They're not artists. They're business people. And well, it, remind, it reminds me of the scene in Ed Wood when he goes to the the the, the nudie picture director and he's like, "Let me make oh, this yeah, film. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Gotta make this film. Mike Starr. Yeah, Mike I Starr. love that fucking guy. Yeah. And, and yeah, then yeah. and then ultimately yeah. he says, "Fine, make the film." And it's just such a piece of shit. And everybody hates it. But you know, and he's just looking. It's like, what the fuck happened? What happened? What you ruined me? And I was like, yeah, I'm sure there's probably some level of uh, if if what you're doing. And Donnie and I've had this conversation. It's like a lot of producers, and I think a lot of you know theater owners are not artists. They're business mm -hmm. people. That's their job. Their job is to make money. And in any industry, you have certain uh, members of the industry that are very risk averse. And some that are and, and very few who are very risky. And, uh, and you know, and I think probably, you know, you look at A24 as an example. Mm -hmm. um, oh, yeah. They're, yeah, yeah. they're, they're very. Annapurna. Annapurna is another one. They're super risky. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and because they're risky, they create things that the committee can't create. They allow yeah. this breathing room well, to create something that's completely unusual and completely interesting. Whether it succeeds or fails is almost beside the point it's about no, this it's, it's this body of work that is really fucking cool and creative well, and, and interesting say, and individual and i think that's something 
that's missing in, in a larger, the larger studio system. Yeah. And I would say Blumhouse has done that as well. Mm-hmm. I, I think, I mean, you have the tattoo done. I think it really is the MGM ethos of arts, grouchy artists, right? Arts, art for art's sake, yeah. you know? And like, yes, business is involved, but I think that's what's special about like Blumhouse is I'm going to make a hundred movies. If 10 of I'm only going to put this much money into each movie. If 10 of them hit, it's more than covers the hundred movies that I've made. You know, and that became that ultimately became the problem. And that was the downfall of Lakeshore was when you start throwing 70, 80 million dollars at the remake of fame. And it's a movie about teenagers written by a fucking middle aged white guy. It just, (laughs) you know, you're throwing good money after bad. You guys will know this. And it's like when you try to it's almost like it's better to be risky than to try to hedge your bets. Uh, that's just that's what I learned from working here's at the company. A, like I would rather risk it all than try to do something that's that's safe. But that's here's a me. question that I had for both of you because you're in the industry. When did when did they stop? I mean, not because I know they haven't entirely stopped it, but when did it become more cost? I mean, it was always more cost effective or available to make digital film over actual film. That was this movie a part of? Derek, I, mean, I don't Derek, remember. I have no context for that. I just think that that's you, probably a pretty significant in terms of risk. The amount of money that you spend on actual film versus that sudden opportunity, that sudden immediate economic opportunity of not having to do it on film, and how much money that saved. I'm wondering if that has anything to do with uh, some of that aversion to financial risk. I don't know. I I have a big example of it, but Derek, if you have something please i think i might have some some actual yeah, other, please, uh, please. information here on this they one of the first films shot entirely digitally uh, commercial films was crank two i want to say might have well, been crank one no no crank it was, it was one was of the two one, crank movies but now now you have to qualify that I, I full disclosure i worked at the company and i was in the first crank movie it was the first fully digital film that was shot on consumer grade cameras then so okay well so then we didn't I'll, have we I'll, didn't have iphones we didn't have iphones and shit back then right but yeah, you could go to best buy or circuit city remember circuit city existed yeah so you could go there and they literally did go there sometimes to buy consumer grade digital cameras that they could shoot the film on so yeah we had like 30 of those sony true. cameras so if that's the right. case then the first film shot on digital and i think it might have been the first commercial film if not one of the first was um the other Neville Dean and Taylor movie, um, Gamer, was well, shot on the on the brand new Reds. The, that was after and, Crank. That was, but that was then professional grade digital, right? Yeah, yeah. But that was one of the first feature films For, that was fully shot digitally, according yeah, to well, uh, you know everybody at Lakeshore at the time, because it was kind of a big well, deal. And that, and that's something Lake Lakeshore did do a good job of is kind of making those connections. They did have a a relationship with Red. Uh, Oakley, I think, owned them at the time, and we did get to shoot on these cameras, and they'd never even been invented when we started that film. They they kind of unleashed these cameras as they were starting production, and it was it was a huge deal. I I was a PA at the time, so I was kind of uh, out of uh, out of a lot of the information, but I I kind of came into that job later and got that information secondhand later on. But uh, I think I think that's pretty close to being correct. It was one of the first films. Do you think I, I, I can answer your question? 
Yeah, no, and 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 and, and this, I guess the follow up is: do, how much impact do you think that had on filmmakers, but more specifically, film production houses? Um, how how much? Because all of a sudden, because I you know I don't I really don't have a context for how much like a movie like Mothman Prophecies, how much the film like if they filmed it on real on actual film, how much overage that would cost but if all of a sudden that money was not being spent on film but could be spent on other things does that did that do you think that affected the industry in a way that that made it more risky and allowed for more risk or or was it just no change at all well honestly i think and this is my opinion but i i think the timing of all that kind of lined up uh in the worst way possible they switched to digital which i'm sure was cheaper this is around the same time that DVD and Blu-ray kind of phased out. So they lost that entire wing uh, as far as, as as making money is concerned. You know, you used to make half your money back in theatrical and the other half you'd make if back not in more, DVD if sales. Not more, if, if not, not more, if it, yeah, yeah, right, yeah, if right, it was a right. big film, uh, you right. know, kind of cut on late. And you, you lost all that because DVD sales died in what, like 2007, 2010, somewhere around in there. They just kind of fell off. And that's yeah. around the same time that this digital came in. So any money you might have gained by switching to digital you would lose because of the DVD game. Right. In my opinion, I don't know. I, I, think, I, I sounds, think sounds I, reasonable. I, I, I will say, in terms of artistic merit, I think the advent of digital made shit a lot worse because people could just riff and riff and riff and riff. Like it didn't matter, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, Derek. Derek mentioned Crank, right? I knew one of the guys uh, who worked in post production on that film. And he was telling me about how they would have what did you said, Derek, about like 30 cameras that they would have or whatever. Oh, These yeah. guys would literally set cameras up on like a curb or on a park bench or whatever. And so you're watching dailies of 20 different cameras that don't mean shit. It's like a car pulls up, the door opens, and that's what you see is the door opening on the camera. Like it's a useless shot. So like, what was the fucking point? There was no artistry to it. I mean, you talk about you talk about people who used to storyboard the shit out of films, and there are still a lot of directors who storyboard the shit out of things, right? I'm sure Cameron has to have on paper visually what he wants his digital artist to create in some. No, way, that's that's right? his process. However, anyway, small that yeah. might be. Guillermo del Toro. Mm-hmm. Guillermo del Toro is another one who who visually has that shit at least sketched out to give people to say, this is what I want. This is what I'm looking at. He got these young guys who just show up and they just like, fucking shoot the shit out of everything. And they're like, ah, oh, well, you know what, what? It's the Hollywood catchphrase. We'll figure out in post. Right. <laughs> and that's why I fucking have a disdain for the kind of uh, Seth Rogen shit. Right. Oh, we're just going to improvise and we're just going to be smarmy and quick and witty. And we'll just pick the best ones. Right. There was no, there's no narrowing it down. There's no, there's a lack of artistry involved, you know? I mean, look, so I don't like, I don't Bill like Murray Seth Rogen. I don't, I don't those like guys Seth did Rogen stuff because Seth Rogen's a cunt. I, I mean, yeah. I well, don't he's a what fucking, it, what whatever, but, artist, but you know what I'm saying? I think he's but, a cunt, so, you know. But, but you know what I'm saying? Like somebody could say that Bill Murray and those guys, uh, Belushi, they did the same thing back in the 70s, right? The difference is when you're burning film, that's legit money. You're burning digital. Who gives a fuck? You have a, a fucking five terabyte hard drive on your camera. Who fucking cares? It, it just doesn't matter. We will just do whatever we want all day long. So I think that there's a lack of artistry 
involved now because of the advent of digital. I think it's kind of a double-edged sword, honestly. I sort of agree with you, but also I think it's it's really opened the door for exploration, uh, film exploration. There's a lot of things, like, I'm not an Avatar fan by any means, but that that wouldn't have been possible 25 years ago or whatever, you know, before the switch that you just couldn't do anything. You couldn't tell that story. Right, that, but may I think be, Cameron, that may be for the best, but. But, but, <laughs> I think, I, but I, but, but I think Cameron is an intentional <laughs> filmmaker, right? I think because he's inventing a lot of the technology involved to make those movies, he's a very intentional filmmaker with what he wants. Maybe versus example, somebody, yeah. you know, and I mean, look, I will agree with you that it has uh, democratized some things. And Don and I have had this debate for fucking like three years now. But like it has democratized things to a certain extent because, Derek, you just went to the desert and made a movie. How many cameras did you have? One. One. You had a drone and a camera or just oh, yeah, a camera. Okay. We and... had a drone. Yeah, no, 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 no. Drone but you had but a the drone, drone wouldn't work because it was too hot. So we only got the drone for like an hour or so a day. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So like. It does, it does democratize the filmmaking in a way. What has become also difficult with the advent of digital are the fact that there are, you know, 10,000 fucking found footage horror movies out there. And we all have to sit through. Now, yours is a documentary, so I'm not commenting. This has nothing to do with your movie. But there are 10,000 fucking found footage horror movies every year. And we're left to kind of sift through all of this shit to try to find the fucking one or two diamonds in the rough, you know? Well, so what would my, be worse that not happening or, you know, having see, to do all that work because it's my, yeah, again, I, a double yeah, sword. I, my argument, I, I, my I argument agree. has been in our, and when okay. Danny and I have this conversation, my argument is that uh, for every, you know, rando piece of bullshit that some idiot with five cameras created and, and took no thought there's going to be a tangerine for every, mm-hmm. you know, there, you know, and, 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 but you're nice in saying that for every five. I'm saying it's like for every hundred. <laughs> well, okay. And, and the thing is, that's fine. I'm a writer. Here's the thing. I'm a writer. And and the if you look at the bestseller lists, like the bestseller lists on the New York Times, right? only the first 10 books listed in the best 10, in the top 10 books sold, sold more than 5,000 copies. Everything else, the top 30th book in America probably only sold 2000 copies and that is and that is because the internet and digital technology has democratized writing in such a way that any fucking housewife with a romance fantasy can write a goddamn book now that doesn't that's a that's a minus because there's just a glut of just fucking nonsense however it does give that one person that probably would not that that financing was a barrier or uh, the availability of technology that you know they didn't go to film school or they didn't have it but they just had this story to tell it gives that person an opportunity at least if no one sees it no one sees it that's not the point but if if they have the opportunity to create something um, because there's no longer a financial barrier in front of them or a barrier of education that they just can't surmount. It provides oh. an opportunity for people that have no other way to create this kind of stuff to say, I want to try. I want to see if it works. And yeah, sometimes you're going to get like a music hit like Friday and you're going to be kind of embarrassed that it exists. 
On the other hand, and arguably, you know, um, some of the hits of Justin Bieber came from a kid that was just doing songs on YouTube. And and right, so yeah. there, I think there is, I think the 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 back and forth, the the plus minus, I think there is much more plus to this democratization of art. And I'm on the end where, you know, I, you know, I write every fucking day. Am I getting paid big money for writing? No, because I have to work in radio, terrestrial radio to actually pay my rent. However, I don't begrudge the fact that maybe I only get 25 people to buy a book that I, I wrote because I got to write it and there was no barrier for me doing it. And I didn't have to rely on someone else picking my shit. I got to just do it and put it out there and hope somebody finds it and if they do more is the better for me and that's that's what i like about this this sort of democracy of uh, art i love it i, I also you know, wonder uh, oh go ahead, derek derek go go i was just gonna say i'm a perfect example of this i mean before before i started my podcast how many different scripts had we written don five six that we'd we'd messed around with something like that we tried every little angle to get you know read this and somebody read this we got a few people to read it but for the most part we couldn't get anything and because of you know podcasting because of independent film and and video and this sort of thing i suddenly had a voice i just had to do something with it so and i i guess i got lucky or, or i found the right note or whatever it was but i i found some success in what i did but i never would have had that opportunity if i had to wait for somebody else to give me that green light i don't i think to this day it still never would have happened well yeah. you know it's like watching yeah, the you Oscars, find it, you... everybody saying follow your dreams follow your dreams well you know just because your dream isn't making you fucking buku cash and you're not standing on the oscar stage doesn't mean that you're not following the dream. The sure. dream yeah. is creating. And if the dream is creating, create for yourself and hope, you know, and I, and I, I just have so much respect for that. And maybe it's just my time in Chicago with the young Chicago authors and those fucking, you know, you know, the poets <laughs> that, that know they're not going to make any fucking money, but God damn it. They have something to say. And this is a platform yeah, look, to say, and look, I love that. Look, I, and I love you both more than I can say. But everything that you're saying also goes to that fucking asshole creating fucking TikToks with her fucking titties hanging out or fucking hitting somebody in a fucking McDonald's and all to get a fucking million views. Right. Like it it, it also speaks to that. So, Derek, you say double edged sword. That's the other edge of the fucking sword. What you guys are talking about has artistic merit. I fucking there. There, there may have been three TikToks that I've seen that are like. Yeah, I mean, there's some fucking artistic merit. It's intermission. Rise and stretch time. Time to refresh yourself and visit our snack bar. Got a yen for hot popcorn? Your favorite soft drinks are sparkling cold. The juicy Frank sizzling hot. There's delicious coffee freshly brewed. And all kinds of ice cream and candy to tempt you. Showtime will be announced loud and clear to get you back to your car in time. So stretch your legs. Come to the snack bar now. For me, you know, like I said, I don't think I would want to like put anybody through watching the Mothman prophecies without at least reading the book or like having a whole lot of context for it. But if I were going to say, hey, let's watch a movie after that movie that I think plays with at least the intended theme of the screenplay and the film that it is rather than the story of the Mothman prophecies, but like the movie that we saw, 
um, absent all the context, my uh, my vote is to watch uh, 2000's Final Destination, which is effectively mm-hmm. a similar movie. There is a mystical force that is causing horrible accidents and people are dying. And there's a group of fucking kids who know that there's something up and they've escaped their fate. And at least there is A, a sense of humor and B, some great fucking horrible deaths and i that's that's it that's like if you're gonna watch the mothman prophecies and feel like you want to kind of die um it's fun to watch uh final destination and hope that the teenagers die well it's funny you say that the mothman prophecies reminds you of an x-files episode without what did you say i forget exactly any personality without without any person yeah (laughs) without any personality final final destination began as a spec script as for an episode of the X-Files in order for the writer to get an agent. So, well, I mean, you're pretty Democratization, democratization. Yeah, well, you know, look, 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 this is also, this is also, what is this? This is, this is 2000, this is 2000. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is, this is still, this again, I'll, New Line Cinema, man, like New Line Cinema had a, uh, they had some great fucking executives over there. DeLuca was one. Um, they had some great executives over there who had an eye for these genre scripts. And I mean, it's the house that Freddie built, right? From Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like they had an eye for genre films. And this was one of them. I, I don't hate this. I like this movie. The cast I is do. very 2000s, you know? It's oh, very yeah. W, no, it gets very WB. Totally, cast, you know, dated. Oh, yeah, um, in its own way, but great. And it's, and it's super polished. It's not, it's not, you know, it's very polished film, but story wise, yeah, man, it's a fucking blast. All the little traps and the, 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 the what is it called? The, not, uh, what is it called? The mousetrap thing where it's, uh, Rube Goldberg, Who's the guy who made the- Rube, Rube Goldberg. Rube Goldberg, Thank you, Derek. Yeah, yeah. Thank yeah. you. So, yeah, I mean, it's fucking fun, Derek. What, what, I, I'm sure Derek saw this in the theaters, right? I did. Oh yeah, yeah, a long time yeah. ago. Sure. Fucking yeah. Who Great didn't? Fucking who movie. didn't? I was 20 years old or 19 or something. Of course, yeah. I watched this. The fuck? Why not? Yeah. Nah, it's a fucking solid pick. Fuck, it's it, in fact, in fact, every 52. time I'm driving behind a log truck, I always slow the fuck down because of this yeah, movie. Change, exactly. Change like lanes. I don't drive behind it. Yeah, I get away from it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, it's a fun one. Um, all right, my my pick is uh, 1987's Harry and the Hendersons. I have to say, when I saw that you picked this, I was mystified by the choice. I think <laughs> Why? I under- well, because I think you got to get it now. Well, that I do. When Derek's explaining that the Mothman is like the Bigfoot, it's like, oh, yeah. okay. Because yeah. I mean, I saw that and I went, the. F- fuck are you thinking okay Fucking now i get it man. Like, now i on, get it okay i get this it this is this is probably one of the first look <laughs> you know i used to have actually before i i, I want to say it was before this maybe it was after this but i don't remember so long ago i had this paperback book called the encyclopedia of monsters and just this little fucking paperback movie it was all the monsters were listed alphabetically and it was the what is it the ogopogo and the the fucking I don't even think Chupacabra was in there yet. That's how old this book was, but um, yeah, fucking Bigfoot Yeti, like all that shit was in there. And I thought movie... I had it honestly, but it's just a similar oh. book. Yeah, but yeah, I'm sure it was one. something. Yeah, yeah. I can't something like find that. the one that I, I love have. it. I fucking loved that. I love that. Um, you know, it's got a fucking great cast. It's John Lithgow. It's Melinda Dillon. Uh, fucking Donna Michi for Christ's sakes. Like, it's a cute, fun movie it's an amblin movie 
Yeah. Right? Like it's got that heartwarming. Do you really say it thing. with three syllables? Amblin. Amblin. <laughs> you said I was, you I was used three syllables. It. Yeah, I also say Florida. Okay. So okay, fair not, enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm Good I'm point. like I'm I'm fucking B. Arthur reincarnated. All right, Derek, what was your pick? Well, before I hit my pick, I, I want to share some information about the Mothman. While while I yeah, have please, the floor. please, please. Uh, since Don didn't realize it was uh, kind of a cryptid like Bigfoot or Loch Ness monster or whatever, so the flap disappeared. Uh, flap meaning like a series of of sightings in '67 after the bridge collapsed. No more Mothman. Nobody saw it. But in the late 2010s, something like that, uh, he he showed back up in the city of oh. Chicago. Oh, All wow. throughout hometown. the skyscrapers downtown, hometown. there's so Whoa. many sightings of Mothman throughout those skyscrapers, flying around, diving off Whoa. of them. I mean, there's like police officers that have submitted reports of this thing. So he's back and he's in Chicago. So if wow. he is a precursor of doom, stay the hell out of the Windy City, I guess. Well, hey, well I mean... has he has he <laughs> has the Mothman shown up since uh, R. Kelly was? Uh... That's really when <laughs> he was predicting. Or... When was that? That could be. That could be. That's what he was predicting. I don't know. I'm just, it could I just be, throw yeah. that out there. I'm not really sure. You know, I don't know. Or maybe, or, or was maybe the, the end of Yeezy. Or maybe, one of the two. No, maybe the Mothman, <laughs> maybe the Mothman saw the film and went, wow, I got to up my reputation and actually went, yeah, I got a lot of <laughs> I'm going to come, I'm going to come to Chicago and predict the Cubs winning oh. the World Series. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Well, he made a yeah. few, he made a few bucks on the film. He moved out of West Virginia. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he got a condo. So he couldn't yeah. move to LA, but he could do Chicago. No. He could he do Chicago. Chicago, yeah. Chicago Coast, Coast, right. yeah. yeah, that's fine. That's good. He couldn't help. He had to go to the girl and the goat. He had to go to the girl and the goat. That was his thing. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) So my pick here was uh, another film from the, what year was this one? 99. I want to say, where did I write this down at? Yeah, yeah, Uh, yeah. It's 99. Stir of Echoes, uh, directed by David Kep. Am I saying his name right? David Kep. That's right, David Kep. One of those two. Yep. Um, Love this movie. Kevin Bacon is one of my favorite films for some reason. Uh, I, I don't, it's so gritty. It's so uh, I don't know, timeless, I guess, for some reason, even though it's, it's a great you know, movie, didn't spend any money on it. No, but it but it doesn't matter. It's one of those movies where it, it doesn't it, again. I don't care how much money they spent. It's such a well-told story. It's the it's human story. Good. Yeah. 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 And, and well, both and of these and, films. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Dave. Or, no, uh, go, no, no, no. You go. Uh, go, go, go. I was just going to say both, both of these films. films were based on books by influential writers from the 60s right. around that area. Richard Matheson with uh, Stir of Echoes and John Keel with Mothman. Um, right. They both have that cold weather vibe. Similar release dates, 99, 2002. Uh, supporting cast is great on both of those. Um, Catherine Ooh. Irby, Kevin Dunn. I'm trying to think who else was in uh, Stir of Echoes. Uh, I don't know. Ileana just, Douglas. I, I, Ileana, yeah, Ileana Douglas yeah. is great in that. Um, no. And it's it's a, a man driven to insanity by something he can't explain. And it's essentially a similar story through both of these. And I'll do an honorable mention and say Secret Window, which is also a David Kep cop uh, film with Johnny yeah, Depp. Yeah. Similar yeah. tones well, to it. Yeah, and it has that similar thing of like, is is what they're seeing all the time what's actually happening or not? You yeah, know? like I, yeah, I agree it's, with that. It's funny. Uh, I was glad you said Stir of Echoes because my original pick, and I don't know if either one of you saw this in the shared I did. before. I, before I, did. I went to Final Destination, my first pick was Into the Mouth of Madness, and it. Oh yeah, and, and that was, it was like you know, and then I went. You you did Stir of Echoes. I went okay. I'm going to go to different directions so we have better, you know, just different coverage. <laughs> Clever. Well, yeah. and just um, uh, 
bit uh, where the fuck did it go oh man i lost it the um the cinematographer of this movie, Astor of Echoes, is also the cinematographer from Mothman Prophecies. Mm. So, and and, Stir it, of, or it, it and has, Secret Window as well, actually. Same oh, guy. is that right? Yeah. Is that DP? Oh, there you go. Yeah. Fred Murphy is his name. So, oh, yeah, Secret Window. Uh, you know, oh, wow. Who's your I, I clearly too, like I his well. look. I, whatever okay. he's doing, I clearly like it. But yeah. yeah. So, yeah, just, just visually. He did Hoosiers? So. Yeah, apparently. That's what I love Hoosiers. I Who's randomly. I randomly yeah. the other night was just like, I can't sleep. What do I want to do? And I said, like, dun, 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 oh dun. fuck it. I just watched that. Yeah. Wow. It's just one of, those, one of those, you know, couldn't help myself. Yeah. Also, also Freddy versus Jason. So, you know, if you yeah, want another yeah. oh, Hoosier, yeah. if you want a Hoosier's feel again, uh, visually, just uh, throw on Freddy versus Jason. Say, uh, as, as, long as, as long as I can play <laughs> right dun, 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 when they're fighting, I, I'll oh, feel. You- like I'm home. That might yeah. work out great, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It might, yeah. Be, might be on to something. Yeah. Might be a better film at that point. Yeah, <laughs> very, very, very. Yeah. Right. yeah, those are those are the double features. Seven years ago, one incredible story blew up the internet. When I was 22, I got involved with the Russian Mafia. I was a frat boy on a class trip. This is Igor. He's here for your protection. He is very dangerous. Ooh. You are not to talk to or hang out with him. All I want to do is hang out with him. I did not speak Russian. Yeah, machine. <laughs> All I knew how to say was, On the machine! It was literally the best summer of my life. We robbing this guy? This is Russia! 23 years after those events, the story continues. What is wrong with this shirt? Yo, machine. Uh, not today, brother. Not today. My dad showed up. You paid money to see my son tell his made-up story about robbing a train in Russia? For the millionth time. It's a true story. It took about two seconds before he started making me mental. Look at it. He's a monster. <gasps> Are you the machine? Ma'am, the party's outside. 23 years ago, you stole the only thing my father ever cared about. Sorry. This is some sort of TikTok prank. I'm about to lose my shit. It's definitely a prank. Clearly, that's a fake gun. <laughs> or not. You're coming with me back to Russia. Russia? If you try to run. Oh, oh, oh. He's, he's going down. Dad, why are you talking all fast like you're on speed or something? Because I'm on speed. Oh. More drugs. Bird. Take off that shirt and show those SOBs who you really are. Now, you gotta party with me. He's the motherfucking machine. Fine, I'm just gonna shoot him in the leg. Oh my God, I'm going to fucking hell. I killed a man. Well, technically, you killed several men. So, Donnie, the machine. The fucking machine, man. I mean, I don't know. I, look, I, somebody, uh, Derek and I also, uh, having worked at the Lakeshore Entertainment, we uh, worked with a guy named Andrew Santino, who mm-hmm. has kind of blown up on the fucking stand-up comedy scene, uh, multiple Netflix specials, etc. So, I don't know, just in the last couple of years, I've been getting more into stand-up comics. Uh, 
Mark Marin and like, yeah, I just, I don't know. I just, I don't, for whatever reason, I've been getting more into them. And this fucking guy, Bert Kreischer, had this stand-up routine. It's, it's got to be like, like 12, 13 minute long routine back in 2016 um, where he tells this story about being the machine. He's a uh, fucking uh, student studying Russian in college and part of their senior trip in this Russian class is to go to fucking Russia and he somehow gets involved with the fucking Russian mob and like robbing a train and I, it's just fucking insane so to me this is really trippy because it's a movie about his stand up routine story but a sequel to that routine I don't, I don't even know how to make sense of it it's it just looks it's, really fucking funny. Well, he's that hilarious. That's why I so think, I'm yeah, sure it's he's be, fucking yeah. brave. What is what is his podcast with the other guy? Uh, it's with Tom Segura. Tom, yeah. Tom Segura. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like yeah. Two, two bears or some shit. Something like know. that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Those two very guys, funny. They're hilarious, right? So, like, the fact that he has this movie, I just I'm I'm blown away. And also, I love Mark Hamill as Luke. We grew up Luke Skywalker, right? Sure. To see him do something, and uh, I've loved him as the Joker. Sure. In his many incarnations through the cartoons and the video games, to see him do something in live action that is just so, I mean, fucking talk about left field, right? Like, this looks amazing. Uh, Mark Hamill plays a uh, birth father in the movie. Just watch the trailer. It looks really fucking funny. I'm always looking for shit that's going to make me laugh. The trailer made me laugh. So I'm really, really hoping, holding out hope for this movie to fucking make me crack up. So that's why I picked it. All right, we'll go with mine next. I am so sorry for what your daddy passed down to you. But I wanted a child, the greatest gift of my life. I'm visiting my mother tomorrow. Hi, Carrot, it's Mom. I'm just calling to say that I'm so, so, so excited to see you tomorrow. You're my angel and I love you. Okay, I love you. Okay, bye, sweetie. I love you. Are you at the airport? I'm on my way, I just... It's not safe, is it? What do you think I should do? I'm sure you'll do the right thing, sweetheart. Welcome back. I hit you with my car. What? I know. What was this? That's my little assistant health monitor. Feeling sad about going home, Bo? Must feel totally unreal. I'm supposed to be leaving. I don't know if that's gonna happen. Bo is afraid. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's yeah, it's 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 Joaquin Phoenix. It's effectively about a man who is uh, agoraphobic and terrified of the world and mm. terrified of of and his and his mother needs him. And it's just I just I do nice things. I love Joaquin uh, and I and I what it reminded me of uh, the, the thing about it is watching the trailer. It made me think of what would happen to the character he played in her. Mm. after she's gone 
Hmm. And he's an old and he's an old man. I mean, it just looks it looks very funny. Um, and it looks very sad. And it's sort of like, you know, also again, what if the whale, if if it wasn't so fucking sad, you know? I mean, it's got that, you know, it's got that fucking angle, and it just looked very fun to me. And uh so, so I picked the uh the latest Indiana Jones five trailer. I don't know what dial the sun or whatever the hell it's called. I miss the desert. I miss the sea. And I miss waking up every morning. Wondering what wonderful adventure the new day will bring to us. Those days have come and gone. Perhaps, perhaps not. I don't believe in magic. A few times in my life, I've seen things, things I can't explain, and I've come to believe it's not so much what you believe, it's how hard you believe I'm her godfather. Get back. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. The fucking title is that? (laughs) It's a great title. What? The dial of the rotary phone. What the it's fuck is good, this title? It's, oh my it's God. as good as Raiders of the Lost Ark or The Last what? Crusade. You're out of the Kingdom line, of the dude. Crystal Skulls. It's all okay. In there. That one is terrible it's too, all in Derek. There. But that so movie was Derek, also you, terrible. So you yeah, want to see? I say I want to see this movie too. So. I do too. I can't I help it. Too. I have to. I mean, yeah, I grew yes. up with Indy like we all did, right? Like I have Ooh. to watch. I'm not going to like it. I know right no, now well, I'm not going to like it. I probably yeah. I hope I come on. Come on, it's got to be better than the, the Crystal Skull one. It's got to be, be, right? Oh, well, there's no Shia LaBeouf. So no, see, I was just going to say that. Thank you. I was just Or Kate Blanchett, and God bless Kate Blanchett, that fucking accent in that movie was, yeah, I was like, whoa. Wow. Okay. Well, she reprised she reprised that as Lydia Tarr. No. I, yes, which is why she was up for an Oscar. <laughs> yeah, it's great. No, look, this looks like a lot of fucking fun. It's, his, um, it's, it's definitely his last outing as Indiana Jones. Jones. We said that I last in, time. Yeah, yeah I, we well, did. I wish they probably would have left it alone. I waited in line to fucking see uh, Crystal Skull at the Grove. Um, and yeah, I was I was really pissed after that. Was on you. That was I, yeah, fucking. See, legit. the thing about it, it was, was I was I was all in until, until the explosion, and he was in the refrigerator. And I went, okay, no, no. Which what, do you you know the story behind <laughs> yeah. that though, right? Yeah. That was supposed to well, that was supposed to be Back to the Future. Yeah, right. There was no DeLorean. It was a refrigerator, oh, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't so, want yeah. kids locking themselves in fridges. So yeah, exactly. So now, yeah. Think, yeah. Now think back how shitty Back to the Future would have been if they would have fucking kept that instead of the DeLorean. 
So no, no, the anyway, thing we'll is, cover back they the would have made that funny. Are you kidding me? Because that's the thing. You're uh, supposed to take it seriously in Crystal look, Skull. Some, look, if it had been funny, I wouldn't have minded a refrigerator time machine. Look, if Zem- it had been look, funny. Zemeckis is a <laughs> Zemeckis is a great filmmaker. I don't even know if he could pull off the fucking refrigerator, but you know, we'll see. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And Don, your movie, look, Ari Aster is. I loved Midsummer. I did too. You and I, I, I have hereditary. You, and I, you didn't you like. And I you don't like hereditary. I, I loved, loved it. I loved three quarters of hereditary. So I loved every inch of hereditary. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, and I've seen it a couple of times since you and I have talked about hereditary, and the ending has grown on me. Um. Yeah. So I like him. I think he's an interesting filmmaker. You know, I'll, of course, I'll check this out. Joaquin is great. You know, looks great. Looks so, great. Sure. Yeah, the thing is, I'm gonna love. I that's the thing is, despite the fact that Crystal Skull was such a bad, that's why I loved about Derek's choice. Yeah, I'm gonna love Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. It's not gonna matter if yeah. it's good. It's not gonna no. matter if it's good. I'm gonna no. love it. Yeah, your pick for next week. Yeah, right? my pick for yeah. next week because uh, you know it's it's one of those I like to watch. It is. Yeah, you actually you actually like to watch this. Film. I that's actually good. do okay. like good. to watch this good. film, and it's good. one of those films that is just like. <laughs> To me, it's like everybody likes to have, uh, you know, like a, a fine filet mignon and, and you know, asparagus. And then once in a while, you have to have the shittiest greasy slider and some crap fries. And this mm-hmm. is that the, the filmic equivalent of that. It is Wild Things. Oh, yeah. John McTiernan. Yeah. Wait, was it John McTiernan? No. No. Who is that? No. Jo- oh, fuck. Please, please delete that. I'm so embarrassed. It's not McTiernan. It's the guy who did fucking um, Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer. Yeah. Jesus Christ. What the fuck? John McNaughton. McTiernan McNaughton. Give me a fucking break. Sorry. I'm not giving you any breaks. You're not going to delete that either, you prick. I'm not going to delete the word. Damn it. God damn it. McTiernan in jail. I think he's You're the film professor. So when you get it wrong, I wish I had that. Derek, thank you so much for coming on to this fucking insane podcast, which is so different than what you usually do. So No, I had a great time. I had some fun. I, I, I had to I had to orient myself back into this world, but once I got slipped back oh, in here, it, it felt pretty comfortable. Yeah, well, there you go. Well, yeah, thank you, man. Well, and yeah. I look forward to seeing Love your to film. It. When when can we? When, yeah. What's 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 the what's the plan? What's the plan with yeah, the, film? the status? The documentary. Yeah. I tell you what, I wish I knew. Uh, we're working on distribution right now. We're taking meetings, that sort of thing. So I'm hoping by summer this thing's going to be released. But uh, once it is, hopefully it'll be everywhere. I don't know if it'll be on Netflix, Amazon Prime, one of those. It'll be streaming somewhere.